0: Joe Biden's win is not a healing, it's a reprieve. So says our guest today, Marianne Williamson. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive.
1: Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shot.
0: Joe Biden is no Bernie Sanders, but still, it feels incredibly good to call him President-elect Joe Biden. Some Bernie supporters ignored his urgent request that all of his people get on board to evict Donald Trump so that we may have a chance to actually enact our agenda. An agenda uh, that used to be seen as the vital center, but is now commonly referred to as the left. Some in that category expressed upset that Joe Biden was not good to fix everything, that he was not the savior. Well, he is not. But what is he? Is this the beginning of Barack Obama's third term? Will the neoliberals of the Clinton era be back in charge of domestic and foreign policy? I'm very pleased to have with us as our guest today one of the outstanding and genuinely inspiring 2020 candidates for the Democratic nomination for president, best-selling author and spiritual thought leader, Marianne Williamson. Thank you so much for being here on Keeping Democracy Alive. Oh, thank
2: you, Bert. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And the new article uh, in Newsweek that uh, Miriam Williamson wrote is titled, A Battle for the Soul of the Democratic Party. And I will say I interviewed her in person in the spring of 2019 in the before times. And frankly, I was not sure what to expect from this candidate who the mainstream media has dismissed. But as one who's been active in Democratic politics for many decades, I was surprised, frankly, I was truly bowled over. Miriam Williamson talks the truth. She earned very high ratings for her performance in an early debate. Inspiring and thought-provoking are the words that best seem to fit. She reaches many Americans not normally reached by run-of-the-mill politicians, people who care about spirituality and the really big picture. So now that, as Trump promised so many times, America has finally... Actually, rounded the corner. Now that we have regained the White House, what can be done to take our hopeful and long agenda and make it into government policy? The campaign to oust and replace Trump was, of course, a heavy lift, but now the real work is about to begin. What do we do? How do we do it? Can it even be done? Or is Biden too too beholden to the same old, same old establishment Democrats? Well, dear listener, you probably know Marianne Williamson better than I do. But if you do not, uh, Marianne Williamson is now a Newsweek columnist, best-selling author, political activist, and spiritual thought leader. She's founder (coughs) of Project Angel Food and co-founder of the Peace Alliance, and was the first candidate in the 2020 presidential primary to make reparations— a pillar of her campaign. I hope we can go forward with that. She is the author of 13 books, among them Healing the Soul of America and A Politics of Love. And as she says, Joe Biden's win is not a healing. It's a reprieve. There's politics and there's government. Now that we have our candidate as president-elect, now is the time to begin the new hard work. Well, as a not particularly quiet dissident, I have been personally frightened of a second Trump turn. Uh, Not only do Trumpists hate democracy, but dissent is pictured as communist. My personal freedom might have been at real risk. Suffice it to say, we dodged a bullet. But how much of a surprise was that bullet? Did it really come just out of the blue? Of course not. It's imperative that we find the source before we can address the symptoms. As you write, Donald Trump did not create those situations. Those situations created Donald Trump. What were those situations that created Donald Trump?
2: I think that uh, it's been a 40-year slog uh, by which this massive transfer of wealth into the hands of 1% of Americans has been achieved. It began in 1980, and it has not been slowed down really much by Democrats any more than by Republicans. And the Obama administration had eight years to address an accumulating despair and chronic economic uh, tension and anxiety among many millions of Americans who basically because of that transfer of wealth were being placed in a situation of chronic despair, Mm. not knowing what would happen if they got sick or if their children got sick not knowing how they would send their children to college, not knowing how they would ever pay off their college loan debt. You know, a large group of desperate people, large groups of desperate people should be seen as a national security risk, mm. whether they're in a corner of an American city or they're in another place in the world. Because large groups of desperate people they are form a petri dish out of which societal dysfunction and pathology is almost inevitable to arise. That desperation was occurring and accumulating in the uh, Obama years. So when Hillary Clinton came along and said, everything's great and let's just Mm. continue with one, eight more years of the fabulousness of the Obama administration, we shouldn't underestimate how many millions of Americans said, what, are you kidding me? Because I'm drowning here. And the hope and change that I voted for in 2008, I have not received. Mm -hmm. And the... The profound rage among so many millions of Americans. Rage which was legitimate, by yes, the way. yes A rage based on the fact that they knew the system was rigged against them. There were only two people who were validating their pain, which is very mm-hmm. important. And number two, recognizing that that pain was based on a legitimate uh, complaint that the economy was rigged against them. And that that deserved to be redressed. The only two people who were doing that were Bernie Sanders and T- Donald Trump. Yep. So I felt, and I think I was correct, that there was going to be this populist cry of rage that was either going to be through a progressive populist or through yeah. an authoritarian populist. Yes. And when the DNC suppressed the progressive populist, where was that populist rage supposed to go? And that's, I think, a large part of how we got Donald Trump to
0: begin with. Yeah, it's amazing how poorly the DNC and Hillary Clinton read the public. It was there to see. <clears throat> and so many people have said, I felt ignored. Hillary Clinton didn't make me feel good. Donald Trump made me feel good about myself. That's important. And to ignore that, as you say, is a huge security risk. And you know, all of us had hoped for a giant blue wave, a clear and unmistakable repudiation of all things Trump That didn't happen. It didn't happen. As you say, all we could do was to beat him by a razor-thin margin. In the past, razor-thin margins haven't been all that rare. Why is this one so distressing and shocking, Marianne?
2: Well, first of all, he did win by something like five million more votes. But the razor thin is in the in the um, states where he did win. Many of the states that he won was a razor thin margin. Look, we all know what happened here. Biden's win is a repudiation of a madman it's not an embrace of a Biden agenda. What is a Biden agenda? Mm-hmm. The only real platform item was that he would handle COVID better, which I think to a lot of people meant a lot. Yeah. But it's not like he has put uh, before the American people an agenda for the kind of fundamental transformation that progressives among us feel is necessary, not only necessary in order to repair our li- uh, people's lives, but also necessary in order to Avoid a trajectory that will lead to another Trump victory or a Trump-like victory yeah. among a congressional and senatorial candidates in 22 and among a, pre- a Republican presidential candidate in 24, which, is we know, could actually even be Trump himself. We don't know what he's going to do right now.
0: It could be. Or for somebody a little bit smarter and a little bit uh, uh, better mannered, <clears throat> that might be even more dangerous for sure.
2: And Oh, absolutely. Someone like a Tom Cotton. These oh. guys are already lining up. These guys are already lining up. And that's why I think people like AOC and really uh, others of us as well, refusing to hold off the conversation that needs to be had right now while Biden and Nancy and Chuck are are planning things. This is the time for us to have a very, very serious conversation about the struggle between the corporatist Democrats and the progressive Democrats. That is not only brewing but which will make all the difference in the direction of this administration and, as I said, in, in our chances in two years. Midterm elections are two years away, and that means they're very, very close.
0: Yeah, oh, they start immediately after, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Rarely uh, do we win if we don't have a clear message of what we stand for. It, but it seems to have worked this time that being not Trump was enough to prevail. Uh, when Kerry was not Bush in 2004— it didn't work, but it did prevail. So aside from being an eminently decent, empathic man who believes in science, what kind of Democrat is Joe Biden? What do you expect to see regarding his advisors and cabinet appointments? Should Clinton and Obama operatives be dancing with glee now? I mean, is that the new direct the, the direction? It's not a new one. What do you think is going to happen,
1: Marianne?
2: Well, I found it disturbing when uh, Joe Biden said that he saw his function as as transitioning the Democratic Party into the hands of Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Clearly, there are former Clinton and and Obama operatives who uh, will be marching into the White House with him, happy to be back in the building. Um, there will be a whole new brand of uh, Democratic establishments uh, operatives who will be marching with him. He has the right to that. But I agree with Bernie Sanders. Progressives have proven their power. Progressives have a, have a right to a seat at the table. Progressives have a right to be a real strong parts of a Biden administration. And if that does not happen... The progressives will not be going along for a third time. Progressives know what they did to Bernie in 2016, and progressives know what they did in 2016. I uh, was not one of the people who said to progressives, particularly young Bernie supporters, that they just needed to get over it um, after these kids particularly had done everything right, done everything they were supposed to do, and then they saw what the DNC did. But I think they, for the most part, went through their grief, went through their processing and seems to have realized that Donald Trump was such an existential threat to our democracy no. that they needed to vote for Biden to break the free fall. But if Biden dismisses and sidelines progressives in his government the same way he sidelined and dismissed us in his campaign, there will be uh, there will be a big price to pay. And I, I myself have to say Um, I've been in the belly of the beast I've Mm -hmm. seen how it works I've seen the corruption Do I hope that there's going to be some fundamental change And some fundamental repair Absolutely I do But um, there are alternatives now Uh, There are people forming a third party Called the People's Party Um, I don't think progressives Are just going to stand in line And wait for whatever crumbs are handed down to us Um, Not this time
0: no, I think you're right and it'll be interesting to see what the the Biden camp does with regard to progressives. Do they do they somehow assume that they don't need us? That's that's what I'd like to find out because they do absolutely need us. And this is the to me, there was a big, big sea change in the identity of the Democratic Party in the 1990s with the Democratic Leadership Conference, which decided, well, we need so much money. Let's just go to the people who have a huge amount of money and forget the working people. Forget our base, union people, stuff like that. I, and that, that was the uh, Clinton uh, government there. And uh, I don't think that's going to work much anymore. And I've, you know, I, I tried to convince people hesitant Bernie people that they should. I mean, Bernie was calling for us to all get behind, you know, and and Biden and say, you know, this is the only way we can possibly move forward. And I I put some pressure on that too. And it seems to me that we progressive, what I call traditional Democrats, uh, have been making a lot of change and having had a lot of success at the local and state level. But I've been saying for a long time, the DNC will be the last to get it. The question now will be, does the Biden administration get it? Will we be able to push him? I hope that we can. And, you know, so many progressives were obviously not real thrilled that Republican John Kasich was featured prominently at the Democratic Convention. Uh, There will be pressure from the corporatist neoliberals in the Biden administration. And... Do you, you may know Joe Biden better than I. I've always been reasonably impressed with the guy. He's a nice guy, a thoughtful, caring guy. But do you expect that he will cave to these corporatist neoliberals and try to push the progressive base out of the way? Could he really do well, that?
2: Well, if you're a neoliberal yourself, then you're not caving to neoliberals to align with them. I mean, that True. might be simply the way, the way he, he simply sees things. Uh, now, Biden is known for having said about Obama, that he had felt Obama was too timid.
1: Mm-hmm, and I do mm. think
2: that that his age, in a way, is working on our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why shouldn't he just speak his heart at this point? He's not going to be, you know, yeah. this, this is the, the climax of his, of his political no, career. Sure. None of us, I don't, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, although yeah. many people uh, <laughs> uh, smeared me by saying that <laughs> I did. I don't know what Biden is going to do, and I don't know him on yeah. any level other than an acquaintance. But I don't think it's simply a matter of what he feels. I agree with Bernie. It's what progressives have earned. Yes. It's what progressives have earned. And if if the, the, in this administration there is the same kind of, of, of cowing to the John Kasichs of the world that there was during the uh, campaign, there, there are going to be problems ahead. You know, a lot of people are saying, ah, yes, but he won by being a moderate. Uh, but There's no evidence for that. For all we know, if he had come out and said we want to make sure everybody has uh, health care with mm-hmm. Medicare for all, mm-hmm. we want to make sure there's a Green New Deal, we want to make sure those college loans are canceled, and we want to make sure that everybody can have free tuition at state colleges or universities, given, for instance, that there are 45 million people in America, voting age, who are carrying those college loans, who's to say he wouldn't have won by a much wider margin, Had he, in fact, had such a bold agenda. And if you look at the, and this is where AOC is making a very good argument, when you look at the people who won versus the people who lost in their House seats, the people who won were the people who were standing for a bolder agenda and the people who lost were the people who were not. Uh. So I refuse to, uh, to enroll in this idea that he has to be careful we've been told this for decades yeah. we have to be careful we were told with with barack obama and we were told with clinton well he wait till the second term uh-huh. right remember he can't he didn't get a mandate he, we have to wait till the second trump republicans have always seen the yeah. fact that won the election was their mandate yeah. so yeah. Uh, joe biden will be bold and he will be progressive if he wants to be the unfortunate truth is that he hasn't give us any, given us any indication he really wants to be. Well, and we'll know over the next two weeks who he appoints. You know, it's all going to be—the yeah. proof is in the pudding. We're going to see who he appoints, uh, and that's going to tell us everything.
0: Yeah, it's going to tell us a lot for sure. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. Our guest is Miriam Williamson, who's got a new article in Newsweek titled A Battle for the Soul— of the Democratic Party, and I am pleased that the gang, uh, the the gang of four, whatever they're called, there's four more people there. You're right; they people who who, you know, were clear in what they stood for and showed some boldness, did very well. I sense I've been around a while, and when I watched Biden speak uh, accepting the uh, presidency, uh, I was reminded of Lyndon Johnson. And aside from his war in Vietnam, yeah, aside from that, he was pretty progressive, I think. He was a real FDR kind of guy. And I'm thinking maybe I'm expecting Biden to be a little bit to the left of Obama. Go right ahead.
2: I agree with you. I I totally agree with you. And I think that, uh, that on a domestic, on the domestic front, Johnson was more than a little bit progressive. On the domestic side, he was very progressive, including a war on poverty, for goodness sakes. And uh, I I agree with you that that where Biden's heart lies is to the left of Obama. But that's why our being loud and proud with our beliefs as progressives right now is so important, because we know the kind of pressure that he's getting. Uh, from the corporate Democrats, from the Rahm Emanuel's, from the uh, Republicans like, like Kasich. We know the pressure that he's getting right now. And that's why I think people like AOC and the rest of us being very loud right now, not quote, unquote, yeah. waiting until the dust settles. Because once the dust settles and he's made these appointments, you know, the best we can hope for is that they'll return our calls, not that they'll actually do anything to change policy. So we need to be, to be you know, yelling politely right now that uh, he he won in large part because of these progressive That's groups right. and progressive alliances and progressive votes. And we should not be treated like errant children yeah. when we, in fact, are the biggest grown-ups in the room.
0: That is for sure true. We put him there. And you mentioned earlier uh, uh, the uh, former mayor of uh, Gary, was it Gary, Indiana, something like that? Chicago.
2: Oh, you mean Pete Buttigieg? Pete yeah, Buttigieg, yes,
0: indeed, South yeah. Bend, of course. I yeah. dear, being in New Hampshire, I got to see all the presidential candidates. Of course, yeah. you have to be hiding under a rock not to see them all. I was not impressed with him. I thought he was <laughs> say anything to anybody and weasel around. It it does seem like he stuck himself out there a lot, to, so that Biden would be grateful for him. What what do you think Biden has in mind for Pete Buttigieg? And what's well, your he has concern? In mind. Yeah.
2: Well, look, we all know what happened, so let's not pretend it didn't. Somebody made a phone call. Yeah. And most of us are very clear about who that person was. Yes. And it was the night before Super Tuesday. It was the person who had said, if Bernie gets too uh, popular, I will step in and do something. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Pete Buttigieg, all of a sudden, Pete Buttigieg drops out the night before uh, Super Tuesday. All of a sudden, uh, Amy Klobuchar drops out mm-hmm. the night before Super Tuesday. All of a sudden, Beto O'Rourke, uh, the night before Super Tuesday comes out. Um, endorsing Joe Biden, we know what happened there, and there's no way when it comes to someone like Pete and someone like Amy that they weren't told that there was a quid pro quo oh, there. Yes. Of course, there was.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's most. So
2: I think we should expect to see more of him. Um, and like I said, you yeah. know, oh Biden. I mean, Biden himself said, uh, "I see myself as a bridge, a transition to Pete Buttigieg." <sighs> and you know, he's Ooh. the he's the uh, you know he's the new younger generation of, of establishment corporate
0: Democrats. Yeah, just what we need, more establishment corporate Democrats. I don't think a lot of people will put up with it this time. We put up with it before. And a lot of Bernie people, you know, traditional Democrats like myself, liberals, uh, did, you know, enthusiastically support Biden. But now it's like, uh, okay, you know, we did it for you. Don't turn on us. And your column in Newsweek List calls for a number of agenda items from what Paul Wellstone called the Democratic wing of the Democratic yeah. Party. These issues right. are all urgent needs that must be addressed and certainly can be addressed. First, I wonder if you would go down the list, please, and then perhaps say what Biden's options are on those.
2: Well, first of all, there's Medicare for All. And the Supreme Court, as we speak, is considering... Yeah different aspects of of ACA. Mm -hmm. Biden, as we know, wants to take a more gradual, uh, transitional approach. And those of us who are for Medicare for All feel it's simply too late for that, particularly given the fact that there's a pandemic as we speak. Mm. You know, I had surgery three three months ago. I had never had anything like this happen. I tore my tendon from my shoulder and I had to have rotator cuff surgery. Oh. Yeah very very painful so on one hand it's a routine surgery but the post-operative process oh, is known for being very very difficult yes. and every single day i thought to myself what would what would have happened to me here if i didn't have insurance it's it's just unthinkable to me so whether it has to do with medicare for all whether it has to do with free uh tuition yes. at state colleges and universities whether it has to do with the cancellation of the college loan debt. Just take those things right there, because I think that those three three things are major contributors to the chronic economic tension and anxiety that keeps so many tens of millions of Americans from being able to Perform at full wingspan, Uh actualize their God-given potential, manifest their dreams. That means that their creativity and their productivity is not at full tilt. They're not the um, employers that they would like to be. They're not the employees that they'd like to be. And even more than that, they're probably not the parents they'd like to be or Mm. the lovers or the friends or the spouses. And and also that right there, all that chronic tension and anxiety, there's your source point, your ground zero for the quote unquote mental health crisis that America is experiencing. This goes back to what I was saying before, address the cause of these problems. And that's the despair of so many people. Now, we now have an economic system that says improve your economy in order to improve the human condition. I say improve the human condition in order to improve, improve your economy. Money does not come. We have got to change our thinking about money. Money does not come from a bunch of crumbs in the form of wealth creation, of job creation, I mean, that is dropped from some corporate Mount Mm -hmm. Olympus. (laughs) <laughs> by the by, the corporate aristocracy. Money comes from the creativity and the productivity of people who are out there doing what they really want to do and what yes. they really love to yes. do. That's where money comes from. Look at how much more money people would have in their hands if they didn't have to worry about out-of-pocket health care costs. Think how much more money people would have in their hands if they didn't have to pay tuition for themselves or their children to get a higher education, which then will enable them to make more money. Think how much more money people would have in their hands if they weren't burdened by these college loans. You want to stimulate your economy? That's the way to stimulate your yes. economy. Give people purchasing power.
0: It's demand side. You have to in- improve demand side. And it, So, go ahead.
2: Yeah, sorry. No, well, that's the that's it. These these things are fundamentals, and what we are doing is taking incremental approach. That's what everybody's a well. That's what progressives are concerned about with with um, uh, Joe Biden. It's all incremental approaches. These, everything yeah. I just said could be done in a day. Oh,
0: it could be. There's no question about uh, it. And he, could,
2: m- he could cancel those college loan debts by by executive order. And you know, I don't think you can say to black people. You know, right now, given uh, given how many unarmed black men have been killed by police, what we're going to take an incremental approach to a change in police practices, an incremental approach to a change in police training, an incremental approach. Now, Biden realizes that black America helped him. And he said the other day, you have my back and I, I will have yours, but we'll see. And if he doesn't deliver on that one. Wow.
0: Yeah, we will see. And One thing that hasn't come up is foreign policy. Nobody's focused on foreign policy. But here is an opportunity to end American involvement in the devastating war on Yemen and to switch our, our uh, policies there. It's got to be pushed. It's got to be pushed. There's a couple of different ways that Biden can go in terms of foreign policy. He, he needs to be pushed. He needs to feel it from the people. And, you know, people like uh, Stacey Abrams, black women did it. You know, let's face it, more than white women uh, and more than white men, black women really put him over the top. And he's got to understand that. And progressives did it too. Now, it'll be interesting to see what the Republicans do. Certainly, Trump wants to keep in control somehow and you know, just have his family, I, some kind of uh, royalty. Will they return, I wonder, to traditional conservatism or stick with the radical far-right Trumpist agenda? neither you nor I are in a position to answer that question, but we can look at the identity of the Democratic Party going forward. There are two wings of the party. You say times have changed. The progressive movement has proved itself. It has proved itself key, in fact, to winning the White House. The neoliberal establishment uh, has proved itself key to getting Democrats thrown out of it to begin with. Please make the case for that assessment, Marianne. Well,
2: first of all, what you were just saying about the Republicans, the Republicans know that Trump got 70 million votes. So they're they are motivated to keep that race together. So there's there's a good reason to guess right. that they won't go back to traditional conservatism because they know what a powerful political base uh, Trump gave them, even though Trump did not actually pull out the win in the presidential election. In terms of, of the Democratic, I'm sorry, Bert, what exactly was your question in terms of the Democrats and where we go?
0: Well, you said uh, that the neoliberal establishment has proved itself key to getting Democrats thrown out of it to begin well,
2: with. Well, well, hello. What do you think Hillary Clinton was? Yeah. I mean, she was your quintessential neoliberal establishment Democrat, and Donald Trump defeated her. Yes, It was a repudiation of of the neoliberal democratic yes. establishment. Now, I think that this this election we just went through was a repudiation of both parties. Ah. But I believe that if if well obviously I mean they when you look at the House and the Senate races, no. the dem, the Democrats were creamed. Yes. We did not do well in the Senate and the House. No. we got the White House, but the Senate and the House was more of a Republican victory than it was a Democrat. Yes. And of course we're all hoping that we're gonna be able to pull out those two um right uh, senate seats uh, in, in georgia, georgia. Yeah. if if biden just goes back uh to being a third uh obama term mm-hmm. sort of redux 2.0 <laughs> i don't believe that that will be enough of a fundamental change in people's lives um to yeah. keep them from being very very vulnerable to the machinations of the trump machinery uh, in two years, you know Trump announced today the formation of a of a pack yes I mean he's not going anywhere no. I mean he is not going anywhere in fact, right now, with their resistance to releasing transition money with his uh, a refusal to um, uh, to concede with his firing mark esper with his firing Ugh. heads of agencies that have to do with things like the nuclear stockpile i think we're in a more dangerous moment now yeah. than we ever were during the during uh the years of his uh, uh of his presidency until this point this is a very dangerous moment and you and i have been talking about going forward in the future i think the 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 moment that's really really significant is the one we're in
1: Yeah, Yeah, we've got
2: 75 days left, and this man, there's so much that he could do to tear the house down on his way out.
0: And he, I'm sure he will do what he can. The interregnum is always a very, very dangerous time. And I believe, I'm not sure if it was his father or his grandfather who said, uh, it's better to die than to lose. And here he has lost. Here he has lost. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, I did not know that, but I'll tell you something. I heard an interview last night on Sky News, Sky Four in London with mm-hmm. Mary Trump. And her perspicacity about him is exceedingly significant. Oh yes. And I think um you know, she was she was very interesting to listen to before. I think she's very important to listen to about him right now. And, you know, there's, there's there's really only one thing more dangerous than an unhinged president of the United States, and that's an unhinged president of the United States who is in a fury, in a rage, who is just blinded by fury. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing, and I'm sure that many people in our government are aware of that.
0: I certainly hope so. And one thing, I, I know that... Uh, George Wallace's daughter has said that she thought that Trump was more of a racist than her father. And the question, you know, Trump, as we said earlier, didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't come out of the blue. It's like, what does this say about America? 70 million people voted for this blatant racist, this crazy guy who doesn't respect anybody who's an incredible sexist and, you know, has been accused of rape by many different people. I mean... What does what this say? Somebody once said to me that uh, it's like the lid of the sewer was lifted off. It's been there all the time. I wonder how we can, you know, you can't, getting angry at this segment of a population, that plays right to their hands. I wonder what we can do about it. Your well,
2: I think, we need to, I think we need to ask less uh, what we can do about them and more what we can do about ourselves. Oh. We always had mm-hmm. uh, racists and homophobes and anti and and uh, the rest. I mean, until the human race has evolved into a state of enlightenment, those elements <sighs> will exist. Yes. But we thought decades ago that we had reached a point in this country where those people and those kinds of radically dark attitudes of human character would never be given a major political megaphone Hmm. by either the left or the right. We thought we had handled that. David Duke would never get anywhere. He'd been flushed out at that time. We had handled George Wallace. We thought we were over that. And then two major things happened. First of all was social media. So all the levees dropped. Because anybody could have a major platform on social media. And God knows uh, Mark Zuckerberg got there very, very late at understanding anything like a social responsibility Mm. regarding lies on the Internet. And secondly, we have a person of no less power than the presidency of the United States who is not above harnessing those Uh, those character traits for political purposes you know i read in an interview shortly after uh, trump was inaugurated that jared kushner he said that he was at a mcdonald's with his father-in-law which i find fascinating as well and he said to his father-in-law you know there are a lot of angry people out there we could harness all that Mm. and make you president you know and he had been known for saying that if he ever ran for, for president, he'd run as a Republican because, in his words, there were enough stupid people out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, these were his words. So he saw, as Mussolini saw, as Hitler saw, as Erdogan saw. I mean, this is not something new in history right. where someone sees where there's anger and desperation. There is always a potential. For the rise of an authoritarian dictator type of person. I mean, this is nothing new. Any, any, even a cursory knowledge of history knows that. Mm-hmm. And when I said, however, that we need to look at ourselves, let's go back to the Obama years, let's go back to the Clinton years, let's go back to the times when Democrats had power and did not use it as JFK did, did not use it as even Jimmy Carter tried to do, to help shore up the survival needs the prosperity needs, the social and and um, and economic opportunities that the average American needs in order to soar. So the traditional values of the Democratic Party became so eroded. You know, like you were pointing out, uh, Clinton and the Democratic Leadership Conference, we can play with the big boys, too. You and I are old (laughs) enough that we have an institutional memory of a time when it was indisputable that the Democrats were on the side of the people. We have generations now that don't see any difference between the corporate whoredom of the Democrats and the corporate whoredom of, of the Republicans. And if this doesn't change, I fear for the future of my country.
0: Yeah, indeed. I do too, certainly. For those who may have just tuned in, Burt Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. I'm honored to have with us Miriam Williamson, who's got a new article in Newsweek titled A Battle for the Soul of the Democratic Party. We're talking about the soul of America as well. And um, I I would like to think, you know, as you say, the money is there. And if we could re- rejigger the word national security what is national security we spend all this money on these weapon systems that yeah okay general dynamics and places like that make a lot of money but does that really build national security i'd like to see us take that on now the the peace movement has been there for a long long time you know since before world war 1 and it goes on and on and it doesn't really get paid attention to all that much but i th- i would like to think and see what you think about this that if we put it out there that you know money at home this could maybe appeal to the populists who were taken with bernie and with trump that uh, you know there's we have issues here at home especially now with the covid with people you know a quarter million people dying I-, I would think now might be a good time to To redefine what national security is and to put it out there. I don't expect Joe Biden to lead that charge. But I'm thinking, you know, that this is a way to connect with people and to prove, to demonstrate the power of the progressives. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think we should just be honest with ourselves about what really happened here. There were two presidential candidates who took on the military industrial complex. One was named Tulsi Gabbard, and one was named Mary Ann Williamson. Uh-huh. And it's not an accident that both of us were smeared. It's not an accident that both of us were made to appear. Uh, well, in her case, like she was a Russian agent, and in, in my case, like I was some wacko, nut job crystal lady. They do that not to silence women, to put, but to make people feel that they're too smart to listen to those women. Yeah. And that is exactly why. When you talk about a $760 billion defense budget and let's not let's not forget nancy pelosi handed that budget to him last year
1: yes the democrats are in
2: on it too that is hundreds of billions of dollars more than the military even says that they need and those hundreds of billions of dollars more have to do with short-term profit maximization for raytheon northrop grumman boeing etc it has nothing to do with our national security, even on the level of war, because the wars of the 21st century are not going to be just about bombers and uh, submarines and battleships. It's more than that going to be. Exactly. It's going to be about cyber security yes, as much as anything else, cyber warfare. And not only that, cyber warfare is already going on on a cold war level. And I'm... if anything, I think we are under resourced. We are giving too little money to that. It could be argued. So, The the, the people who are, I know from my own experience as a candidate, and I think you can see this in Tulsi as well, it was the DNC, it was the Democratic establishment that didn't want any of that conversation to take place. Now, Bernie did mention Yemen. I think you mentioned Yemen before. It's absolutely outrageous. Outrageous. Once again, for the sale of a $360 billion in arms we are giving aerial support to a genocidal war yes. by which the crown prince of um, Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, is starving tens of thousands of Yemenis, including children. Yes. Um, when Mike Pompeo was asked how we could, you know, w- w- this is such a complete lack of moral core oh. to our uh, to our foreign policy, and Pompeo's response was sometimes. We can have strategic partnerships with people who do not share our values, which means basically we have no values. But even then, I'm sorry, it was Obama uh, that first oversaw an arms set yes. um, to them. Uh, of course, what, what the Obama people said was, yeah, but they'll never really use them. Well, guess what? They sure have. <sighs> and also, it's, it's worth noting what is happening as we speak. Uh, there's a huge transfer of arms uh, to uh, uh, to Saudi Arabia, Arabia, even as we speak. So, Jared Kushner and um, Trump have a lot going on there, and we can only guess exactly what it is.
0: Oh, my goodness. And you reminded me, I was talking to Al Gore once, long time ago, and when he was saying that uh, we need constructive engagement with our enemies. Boy, does that sound familiar! There it is. You know, so much for our values, constructive engagement. It's profitable after all. One question I want to discuss among many is how we can—I mean, you know humans. You have a good sense of how we humans run, what makes us move, how we can cool down the white-hot rage among Trumpists who cannot accept defeat, since the only way Trump wins is in terms of money is by cheating. His people, therefore, believe cheating got the win for the Democrats— I got this fascinating email yesterday from the Trump camp. I don't know why I'm on their list, but boy, it's fascinating. They say, the blatant voter fraud throughout the corrupt Democrat-run cities is unprecedented. The left has proven that there is nothing they will not do to rip power away from the American people, end of quote. The lame duck president also plans campaign-style rallies to boost support as his lawyers fight potential uh, recounts in battleground states. And this is from another I got this thing from a right-wing page called Press Corps. Soros-funded organizations. There's George Soros, again, their favorite whipping boy. George Soros-funded organizations have assisted with the election security election security in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan. If you thought the sheer brazenness of the big cheat was galling, brace yourself for the great certification scam that comes next, end of quote. As you so well know, to engage them on their terms... They love to fight in the streets with guns and gangs of thugs. That, of course, is a recipe for disaster. Fighting them is what they want. We, we can't afford to do that. Uh, we, can't, we can't buy into that. There are, as we've mentioned, quite legitimate reasons for the anger that put Trump into office. I mean, Hillary called them a basket of deplorables, and they feel, I think, accurately like... The elites of both coasts look down their noses at them. So now it's vital for peace instead of civil war that we somehow deflate their anger. How might we absorb and avoid their sword thrusts and somehow detoxify their rage? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do we need to... Well, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Well, in fact, what I said before, we the answer to that is that we can't. But what we can do is provide them a real alternative uh, what if all those people are told as of tomorrow, guess what? You have free health care. Don't even worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Are they going to be yelling no socialism? Are they going to say, really? You mean I don't have to pay anything? And then you say to them, guess what? Your kids can go to college free. You don't even have to think about it. What if we were to sell those people, hey, those those college loans you have, don't even worry about it anymore, canceled. Uh, give them an alternative. We can't, you know, this, this, there is no dismantling that hatred. What there is, is mm. loving them. Hatred is is an absence of love. Give these people some help in, in their lives, and I think a lot of people will say, wow, well, I guess I kind of like this.
0: Uh-huh. I have a feeling.
2: And by the way, yeah. I, 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 Hillary Clinton has been vindicated in so many ways. So, you know, you could say she called them a bunch of deplorables, but the way certain among them have acted... I mean, did she, she turn wrong. out to be wrong? I mean, no. you know, what are the Proud Boys if not deplorable? Oh, what absolutely. are the Buggalos if not deplorable? What are the Nazis if not deplorable?
0: And there, there are some voices, speaking of which, calling for us to respect and welcome the Trump base. Comprom- I, I have a hard time, the idea, compromising with blatant fascists and racists. It seems like a bridge too far. As a friend uh, wrote, there are certain lines of human decency... That can't be crossed and still expect to be treated with respect and tolerance, supporting a lunatic who puts kids in cages and accuses his opponents of running a pedophile ring out of a pizza shop, crosses a critical line. Your thoughts on that friend's comments?
2: Well, I think the point is that there is a line. You know, yes. Eisenhower said the American mind, at its best, is both liberal and conservative. Hmm. And there are high-minded conservative principles as well as high-minded liberal principles. As Biden has said, you're, you are, these are your political opponents; they're not your political enemies. So I absolutely feel not only that I should, but that I even want to uh, listen to people who have high-minded conservative values. None of us have a monopoly on truth. Hmm. However, no, I'm not. I do not feel that it's my job to try to listen to and understand understand uh, how a fascist is feeling today. Yeah. You know, Bert, I'm a Jew. So, you know yeah, so am uh I. I yeah, well hello then. You know, we you know, the problem is, as Hitler said later in the war, he said the only way they could have gotten us is, is stopped us is if they had come down on us swift, early and hard. Ah. We should have come down on this craziness earlier. I I think I'm the first candidate in the 2020 cycle, who said in my CNN town hall that we needed to uh, deal with the fact that this president represents a fascist threat.
0: It's amazing to me how many, I mean, I, I was in the state Senate for many years, and how many Republicans, conservatives who are out there defending this guy. And to me, as I mean, if you look at what patriotism is, it's about democracy. It's about America. And you know, freedom, and it, how they embrace this anti-American. It just boggles my mind, but they do. And I think you're right. We have to get to what causes that. If, if as you say, you know, if people had their health care and other things taken care of, I'm sure they'd say, wow, what were we afraid of? But if they don't do yeah, that, if, exactly if, if
2: they- Exactly. They'd say, well, I don't know. I think maybe this is kind of good. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. But if we don't do it, if 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 Biden is, you know, just another neoliberal and just cozies up to the corporate uh, money people uh, and I'm not against, you know, Wall Street. And, 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 you know, I personally am not an anti-capitalist, but I think it can and has to be done under uh, the control of the common good and FDR call for this, that they have to serve the common good first and foremost and then they can make money. But if, if the Democrats now don't address this stuff, boy, there's going to it Building a new party is not easy. But, I mean, because, you know, data banks, all that money stuff, uh, it's a big deal. But I, I just wonder, you know, we, we, co- we have an opportunity to really appeal to a lot of people in the middle, people who, and, and, and as Biden has said, You know, I want to be president for all of America, not just the Democrats, is an opportunity here that can happen. And, you know, another area that we didn't do well in, aside from the House and Senate, across the country, Democrats and state legislatures did terribly. We lost seats in many, many states Uh, here in New Hampshire. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, We had a very strong governor who... The TV station, the state's TV station, almost like socialist state TV station, gave uh, young Sununu time every single day to smile on TV and to say, you know, we're managing COVID. But I, that was to, that's just one state. Given that the Tea Party effectively built from the bottom up for national strength, I wonder, you know, in ta- what lessons we can learn from losing the state legislature so badly. Can we learn from what the Tea Party did? What are your thoughts on, on that? Because that's real important stuff, you know, redistricting. And all.
1: Well,
2: the Democrats have traditionally liked to show up for the hot and sexy yes. uh, midterms and presidential elections oh, I know. and have found <laughs> uh, state and local elections not interesting enough, God. not sexy enough, right. too boring, you know, yes. um, not adrenaline filled enough. The right has never made that mistake. The right has always known that you have to take care of things on local levels, on state levels, and they've just out-organized us completely. But I think that that can change. I think people like uh, Stacey Abrams are on that. But then you get back to what we were talking about before with the Nancys and the Schumers. Um, The Democratic establishment doesn't really support the grassroots uh, activists. They certainly don't support the grassroots um, uh, progressive activists, and yet that is where the change would come from.
1: Yes,
0: and young people. I, you know, I, I saw. I, I went to Bernie rallies, and there were always a lot of young people out there. It was a lot of fun. How many of them voted? I'm not so sure, but in the primaries that is. But I think they really turned out in the general election. And I would think Biden and the party need to pay attention to them. They like AOC. They like that that uh, progressive, bold stance. I think young people joined us this year not because they were institutional Democrats, but because they insisted on fundamental progressive change. Of course, young people are the future. What? What, what's your sense of how to reach and to keep young people? And I can imagine they'll turn on a dime if Biden doesn't uh, follow through and address some of these real issues, medical care, uh, you know, college expenses, etc. Your thoughts about uh, keeping young people involved?
2: Well, young people are not stupid. And they knew that Biden represented uh, a way to break the freefall of American democracy. Uh, this man, Donald Trump, is a fascist threat to our democracy and people as one young man said to me we had to get through our grief over bernie and then we came to the realization that our highest um, dedication had to be to the preservation of democracy itself yes however they're once again they're not stupid if they see a biden administration uh moving back Mm -hmm. in the direction of a corporatist neoliberal um uh, governing uh, core Without any real deference to progressive values or progressive candidates, then they will be open to the idea of a third party. Yes. Um, this People's Party. There's there's something there. These are some very smart people. Uh, Nick Brana and others. Former. A lot of them worked with the Bernie campaign in the past. Um, these people are not stupid. Right. And I think what they're doing is good in that. Uh, the stronger they are, the more the Democrats will know that they have a contest on their hands to keep progressives because progressives will have another place that they could go.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. And talk about a people's party uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be uh, have Thomas Frank on this show, uh, who's got a new book about uh, the campaigns against the People's Party that was in the Ah. 1890s and the whole populist movement. So it'll be interesting to see.
2: Absolutely. You know, traditionally, third-party voices have been very important in America. Abolition came from the Abolitionist Party. Women's suffrage was the Women's Party. Uh Social Security came from the Socialist Party. And it's only been, you mentioned before, um, George Wallace's daughter. It was in response to George Wallace that the Democrats and the Republicans formed their very unholy alliance. Ah. Uh, whereby together they have worked so hard to keep third parties out uh, of the mainstream conversation. But this is not going to work anymore because the largest demographic is independence. Mm-hmm. The largest demographics is a pox on both their houses. Uh, there's a real pox on both their houses sentiment out there. And if the Democrats don't learn the lessons of the past few years, then pox on both their houses will become a growing growing source
0: of power. Yeah, and they have an opportunity. It's up to them now. They, they get there right. in the driver's seat for sure. And as you say, right. this is not a time to relax or go back to the conditions that paved the way for the Trumpists in the first, to begin with. We need to give people more than a reality devoid of Trump and you also say, you know, thankfully, we won a battle for the soul of the nation, but there are more battles ahead. Now a battle will rage for the soul of the Democratic Party, as well it should. It's been needing to happen for a very long time, end of your quote. As people from the traditional left liberal labor base of a party, what what is realistic for us to do? What needs to be done to both address the underlying causes of what you call a chronic despair and build the electoral strength of... Either the Democratic Party, I guess it's really on the party to decide if they're going to earn the electoral strength going forward. What can we do, Marianne?
2: Well, a lot of the shift is psychological. We have been trained to expect too little progressives have been trained to just sit down and shut up and, or, or else at the very least uh, stand in line. You know, the yeah. day after the election, I heard a woman named Mara, I think her name is Liaison on NPR. I might have mispronounced her name. Yeah. And she said the left just needs to be patient and take what they can. Mm. Why? Is big what? oil ever told to be patient <laughs> and take what they can? Are military industrial comp- uh, contractors ever told to be patient and take what they can? Are health insurance companies ever told to be patient and take what they can? Are big pharmaceutical companies ever told to be patient and take what they can? Hell no. No. It's just too late for that. And I, I believe that that psychological shift will create political force. And that's what needs to happen. And I believe that the more of us who are not serving in government make clear that those are our feelings, the more people in government will feel emboldened. To stand for those things. Uh, people like AOC and others mm-hmm. have already said, don't even think about putting Rahm Emanuel in your cabinet. Don't even think about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, of course, I don't know the exact quote from Franklin Roosevelt to uh, A. Philip Randolph, who was head of the Pullman Porters Union, talking about ending segregation and having uh, equal pay. And, uh, and FDR said something like, I'm with you. I support you. Now go out there and make me do it.
2: Make me do it absolutely, and that's of course was the relationship that JFK had with uh MLK when Martin Luther King. Sorry, I have to be tough on you. He said, Please do, I I need you to be. Yeah, so when people say about progressives right now that are being taking such you know adamant stances that we are being divisive, no, we're not being divisive. Uh, Beginnings are everything, beginnings are everything. It's very difficult to change your trajectory once it's already done. So if he comes in. And he just makes all these corporatist uh, appointments. It'll be too late. You know, they'll hear us out, but it won't make any difference. He needs to hear us right now. We see ourselves as the power center that our numbers actually indicate Uh that we are.
0: Yes, we are. We are the Democratic base, and they better not mess with us.
2: They've been messing with us for a very long time. And they think that uh, we can be taken for granted. I think that... uh, Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are telling Joe, you won without the progressive base, But I think it would be very unwise for him to think that that's true. I also want to say about about money and capitalism, I like you, Bert. I'm not anti-capitalist, but you can't be a capitalist if you don't have any capital. And uh, (laughs) it's it's a very virulent strain of capitalism, uh, one tied to no ethical or moral considerations for people or planet that has been with us ever since the 1980s, Reagan
1: economics
2: yes. and trickle-down economics, Ugh. et cetera. And, that, and, and like you said, capitalism with proper regulation, capitalism with proper um, uh, boundaries. You know, It was a democratic president that, re- that repealed Glass-Steagall. And it was yes. FDR who, you know, FDR said, I'm not destroying capitalism, I'm saving yes. capitalism. Yes. Right now, I understand why you have whole generations of young people who honestly, sincerely ask what the hell has global capitalism ever done for me? Right. So if you don't let these kids in the game, if you don't provide economic opportunity for them to be players in a, in a capitalist system, what obeisance, what yeah. respect are they supposed to have for that system? And yeah. uh, and it's it, you know and if and if that isn't handled, they will they will tear down the walls of the Bastille within the next twenty years.
0: Yeah, there's so much power ahead. We can do it. Marianne Williamson, thank you so much. You'll be writing regularly for Newsweek these days, and uh, I guess that's the best way for people to keep up with you, although you must have a website as yes.
2: well. Uh, yes, and I have a podcast, uh-huh. the Marianne Williamson Podcast, and people can learn more at com.
0: Thank you so much. We can do oh, it. Oh, thank
2: you, Bert. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you.
0: Likewise.